The first production of Porgy and Bess uh, here, stage at the Coliseum. It's, am I'm not, it, it's amazing it's taken that long, but it's wonderful it's happening now. Uh, before, and Nadine is going to sing um, for us a number and a tune you may recognise, but I think before that happens, and uh, given that you're all arraigned this way, like, uh, well, you know, this is your audition in front of these people, I'd like you all please to introduce <laughs> yourselves and tell, every, uh, tell us all your roles in, in, in this uh, production. Let's start here, Michelle. So, I'm Michelle, you've all met me many times before probably, and I'm the head of casting. And on my first day at ENO, I found out we were doing Porgy and Bess, which was probably about 18 months ago. And um, not just casting some of the roles, because some were already done, but I had to find the 40 ensemble singers. So that was quite a task with all those small roles, too. Uh, and one of them is sitting next to you. And I'm one of those <laughs> 40 members of the ensemble. My name is Monde Massimino from Cape Town, South Africa. Modemasimini, Cape Town, South Africa. It's even better with amplification, as if it needs amplification. Amazing. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so, um, uh, thank you. I'm Diane McIntyre, choreographer, and I'm here from the States, from Cleveland, Ohio, the, the almost home of LeBron James. <laughs> that, that, that's a way that some people know about Cleveland nowadays. Okay, yes, he's from Akron, Ohio, so it's great to be here. Thank you. Hello, I am, uh, my name is Eric Green, and I'm singing the role of Porgy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'll remember that as a line. Good way to get applause. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I'm John Wilson, I'm the conductor. James Robinson, I'm the director. Hi, I'm Nicole Cabell, I'm singing Bess. Hi, I'm Nadine Benjamin, and I'm singing Clara. Thank you all very much, thank you. Um, who wants to pick this up? But it's the sense about what you all think. 1935, 1935 is the premiere, right? In, in Broadway, yes, 34, 34, am I getting this right, wrong? Oh, fine job, come on, I'm only letting you know. It was written in 34, well, finished in 34, and the production was in 1935. Thank you, thank you, Nadine. It's, it's, but it's one of those things, and that tune, you know, we, we, I guess we imagine we all own it, you know, it's something that's, that's part of all of our lives, right? But that's such a radical way, not just to start uh, a, a show, and what Porgy and Bess actually is. I just wonder if, who wants to take this up, but actually what Porgy and Bess is and what it meant in 1935, an all-black cast in, in New York, and what Gershman is doing uh, and how it, was, uh, how it was received back then. Who wants to take that up? James, you're nodding as if <coughs> oh, you might Oh, no, I was uh, <laughs> trying not to be the first. Oh, very good. Uh, well, no, I, I think what's amazing about it is we're always talking about this piece when we're in rehearsal, obviously, and also when we're not in rehearsal, so prior to coming into uh, up to see... All of you, we were discussing the history of it and performance history, and and um, so we're always, you know, sharing tidbits about it. But it was actually quite a revolutionary piece, and um, it's based on a book by uh, a writer named Debose Hayward, who was a, a not. We don't really know him much as a, a writer these days, but he was very influential back in the day. He he wanted to be a poet. Actually, he wrote a lot of poetry. But he was fascinated by this part of the, the world uh, because he was from there, and he documented the, the life, the lives of a community um, in, uh, in South Carolina. Um, specifically, it was uh, the, 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 I guess you, you would say the, the community was, is, uh, had, it spoke with the dialect, the Gullah dialect. And um, it was very interesting because Charleston, South Carolina was one of the biggest uh, ports for slavery in the United States. 
and a lot of people after um, uh, after enslavement was was over settled in, and a lot of communities were were quite uh, isolated. And he he knew about this one um, character. Uh, he was called um, Goat Cart Sammy um, in in Charleston, and he was fascinated by him, and, and originally wrote a poem about him. Was fascinated about by this. This uh, this guy who was uh, disabled and, and and a beggar, and he created this story. Um, he had, he interviewed a lot of people. He was fascinated by the life of of this community, a working class community, poor but working class community um, in this part of the world. And it the book was a sensation. Um, it, it's only about 100 pages long, and it documents this community quite beautifully, but also he was kind of an anthropologist. He, he wanted to uh, keep a record of the dialect that uh, these people spoke. So sometimes when you're reading the book, you think, wow, he really was working hard to do that, and, and it doesn't read terribly well. Sometimes you have to you have to say the, the text aloud, and then it's like, oh, that's what that, that means. Actually, uh, one of our cast members was singing, uh, Serena and I were talking about that today. She said, I couldn't read those, the, the dialect uh, until I started speaking it out loud. Anyway, what's fascinating about it, it, it and, and revolutionary is that DuBose Hayward created characters who were three-dimensional, and that was quite unusual for a white author to be writing about an African-American community, or anybody. And that was, uh, that was unheard of at, at the time. So the, the, uh, the book was really quite something. You have these, uh, these you know, very fleshed out, uh, very psychologically complex people. And that was really unheard of. So the book was really quite popular. Um, Gershwin was, uh, was you know, quite thrilled with the book. Uh, everybody was taken by it at the time when it was written in 28, 22. And, um, but as we were, and John can fill you in on this, it took him a long time before he agreed to, to write Porgy and Bess. Um, the thing about the, the opera Porgy and Bess, <clears throat> you've got DeBose Hayward, you have Ira Gershwin, who is the lyricist uh, brother of, of George Gershwin. And the thing that was interesting about that is uh, 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 the, the book Porgy and Bess is quite different than the opera Porgy and Bess. Uh, the, the opera, uh, a lot of parts are sort of sw switched around a bit. There are things that are added that are not really in there. And a lot of things are adapted from um, actual poems and other things that DuBose Hayward wrote. So that's why a lot of that stuff is in. And the first version of Porgy and Bess uh, was, I'll say, rather overstuffed with content. It's four and hours long, right? Four hours right. long. You know. It's a long show. It's going to be <clears throat> so. three hours here with an interval. Though, right? It's right. in two parts, this um, And it was re really quite revolutionary to have uh, an all-black cast. Gershwin actually wanted an all-black orchestra, too. Um, to, uh, for the premiere. So it was really quite, quite revolutionary at the time. Um, Eric, Diane, um, how, how, well, Nicole, all of you as, as performers and, and, uh, and as choreographer, Diane, your relationship with, uh, with the piece before you started to sing it, what, 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 what did Porgy and Bess, what does Porgy and Bess you know, mean to you before you're uh, going to be singing it for us, Eric? Uh, I, I would say my first... Um, hearing of anything from Porgy and Bess was probably summertime. And it was probably, I heard it on, uh, done by a jazz artist. Um, and that's, you know, it's been 
you know, sampled, a lot, lots of the tunes have been sampled and pulled from that opera and made famous because of we, it's become popular, you know, and it's become tunes, uh, as it were, as opposed to, we, we don't always think of them as arias because no one pulls, you know, Kidbel Sonio out or pulls, you know, a Visidarte and, you know, and sample it and turn, you know, into maybe pop orchestras. Classically, they do it, but it's still, the content is still there and you still know it's very classical. But sometimes we get confused because of that reason and we sort of debate whether it's an opera, whether it's musical theater, whether it's this and all of that. Sure. Yeah. And Gershwin himself, I mean, whether he was, whether it was a term he liked or whatever, but in order to, to sell it, it was called a folk opera. Exactly. I mean, and for him, maybe he was thinking more of it in line with Mussorgsky and Boris Godunov, but in, but in the end, of course, he's thinking about, well, I, you know, I wrote my own uh, spirituals, I wrote my own idioms that were going to be right for the community I was, I was, I was portraying. It's an opera all the way. <laughs> sure. There's nothing, yeah. absolutely no doubt about it. And, uh, and that's the wonderful thing. Uh, I, I take this as a bit of a, I'm digressing a bit, yeah. but just uh, uh, something that uh, on first hearing uh, John talk about the, the piece, you know, my, my everything lit up in me because he just completely uh, put, the op uh, put this piece as an opera and he attached it with facts, attached it with examples from other composers of operas and is it was just delightful to hear so it's no we are approaching it as an opera uh, you that's, know? and that's you. Yeah. the key yeah and that's, that, and that's really important all sorts of levels maybe absolutely. not just music but also socially and politically too but i think i think this piece has suffered over the years by people sort of um sort of sort of taking the uh the the, the choice cuts and sort of doing them as kind of like standalone pop numbers and uh, i mean i don't mind look at yeah. the, the, the course he Made, made lots of money doing that, uh, and uh, the, but but the folk opera thing I just wanted to to mention because think how difficult it is to take um, spirituals, pop music of the time, grand opera clearly influenced by Wagner and Puccini, and in this instance Alban Berg, and and to assimilate those elements so completely that they the he creates a new kind of form and a new sound world, and he was the only composer on the planet who could have achieved it, and he achieves it so sublimely. Um, it's interesting. He was asked to write Porgy by Dubose Hayward, and I'm glad we started talking, the, the conversation about Dubose Hayward, because everywhere on the posters now in the scores, it says the Gershwin's apostrophe, Porgy and Bess. It's not the Gershwin's. That's... That's, sim that's a misrepresentation of the fact. It's an opera by George Gershman and DuBose Hayward. There are some additional lyrics by Ira Gershman. Um, and he was asked by DuBose Hayward to write the opera, and he said, I'm not ready for it. And he said, uh, DuBose Hayward said, look, I've got Jerome Kern waiting in the wings. He's going to do it. And he, <laughs> and, and he, said, he said, look, no, wait for me. He said, because if I write this, it will be a labor of love. It's a piece that I, I have to do. And he said, wait for me, wait until I'm technically ready to do it. And he's, um, you know, between 1928 and 1934, George Gershwin developed at a faster rate than just about any composer ever. He went from being a Tin Pan Alley songwriter to, a, to the complete 
musician, and, and his early death is the only early death of composers that I lament. We've got plenty of Mozart and Rossini. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. That's true. It's a very good line, that. <laughs> Nicole, just uh, the, the, the sense of the, those kind of uh, references and the, those kind of relationships with those traditions that, that John's talking about, from Berg, Puccini, Wagner, mm -hmm. uh, and spirituals and all the other things that he's also clearly referencing and wanting to, the, the, the piece to be about. How do you feel that in your music of, uh, of, of Best and indeed the, the whole opera? You know, this is a role you know very well, having sung all over the world. Well, I actually started out singing um, Clara. <laughs> I think a lot of us, um, it, this is, it's a progression in the opera. Um, the Clara's, uh, it's a more lyric role, um, like a third, minor third higher <laughs> in the voice. And you get older, the voice kind of comes down a little bit. Um, but yeah, I started singing Clara and it, even prior to singing any Porgy and Bass, I just, rather any roles in the opera, I just sang pieces from it. Um, I, I, there's a wonderful aria, My Man's Gone Now, by um, the character Serena, and there's a sweet catfish row. And I started doing this in college, where I would sing the summertime, My Man's Gone Now, and the, the, the best pieces, which are only duets. She doesn't have an aria. I thought, this is, seems like a big role, but when you put it down on paper, she has three duets. <laughs> That's it. Um, but it's a fantastic role. Um, but back to, yeah, back to the music. Um, just speaking from an, an American perspective, mm. uh, we didn't have opera in the household, so I didn't hear the, the, these sort of classical voices and uh, European um, music in the house. So I started singing jazz and musical theater and pop music. And it sounded silly because I had an operatic voice. <laughs> so when I started picking up, um, started going through a music to find arias, uh, this music just immediately fit. It was classical, but it had just enough of a color um, to it and a style to it that felt so natural, all of it, all of the roles. Um, and so I don't know if that just comes from being African-American, having the African-American experience or the American experience, but it just, for me, it just had all of the um, elements that just made it the most natural music for me to sing. And so it was just an easy fit. Um, but yes, yeah, this will be my second staged um, production of Porgy and Bess. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, I've done concert versions of Bess and lots of Claras. <laughs> so I'm really excited, and I, I honestly couldn't ask for a better cast and a better um, group of people to work with. Just uh, the, the, it's worth remembering, this is still a very controversial piece, uh, both in terms of yeah. who's doing it and where it's done. You may have been aware of the, the, the news uh, earlier this year in Hungary, uh, the Hungarian state opera went against the express uh, wishes yeah. of the Gersh Right, exactly, to put on a, uh, a version of Porgy and Bess with, with white singers. But look, when, when this opera was first done in Europe, it was done uh, with uh, white singers blacking up. That's how it was done in Denmark, and that's how it was done in Europe in the 1930s and 1940s. So there, there are many, there are still, I mean, there are many critics, there are not only African-American critics of the piece in, in the United States and all over the world who do regard this piece really as a bit of a problem, that it's, it's stereotypical and it's the depiction of a uh, working class uh, black community, uh, drugs and everything else that happens in the piece. Uh, and it's still, it's still contrary. Even Audra McDonald, who sang it recently, said, well, you know, I wasn't really sure about it. Now, I, now I've done it, I, I feel a bit different about it. Who wants to? Yeah, I want to say, I just want to say something. Uh, but that's why it is uh, more 
who, whoever is, is sitting in these seats that we sit in today, with me being singing the role of Porgy, Bess, we have Clara, we have ensemble, we have director, we have conductor, uh, choreographer, uh, whoever is sitting in, in the seat or has the, has the opportunity to sing the role, we have a duty to bring the honor of this piece out and not settle for the, the stereotypes and not settle for the, the haphazard, uh, lazy way of presenting it. I, it's, it. It has to be that. And if you are not really, um, if one is not ready to do that or, or sold out enough or whatever, whatever the case may be, I, it, you, you are going to do the, uh, the music a disservice. It's not so much that, you know, I mean, because people go and see it. I mean, it's been, it's been done for years, you know, in a very horrible way. And that's why it's for anyone else to, um, for anyone else, you know, like in Hungary or wherever, they, they're doing it or want to do it. If you're not going to invest what needs to be invested in it, it's, it's a crime. It's just a crime and a shame to, to do that to this absolutely magnificent score. Uh, Dan, yeah, thank you. Okay, one thing that I would like to say about, this is related to your comment, about this particular production is that James, our director, is bringing such humanity and dignity and, and stateliness to this particular production. All of the people, you see their humanity, you see their character, you see their longing for something better, and you do not see anything that could be even remotely stereotypical. Their person, the people you see on stage are people like you. Absolutely. Their heart is not different from your heart. And there's nothing they do in his staging, in his, in, in his pulling the emotions from them that is different from any human being around the world. So we don't see any stereotypical type movement or gestures. And I just applaud James for those choices. But of course, but, yeah. and probably I think everyone would applaud you for the same reason. <laughs> Given that Diane, you're, you're working with the you're working with this uh, bespoke ensemble, forty strong, I think, is that right? The, the ensemble, and you. We've got forty one. Oh, mm -hmm. We've got forty one. We had someone so good two days before it started and we just decided we had to have the minute and build a relationship with them. <laughs> That's a very generous bit of casting. That's worth putting around the West End. Sorry. Um, so, uh, so uh, Diane, just talk a bit about where, where this movement uh, comes, comes from in you. and Because uh, you were just saying just before we came up that you, you were not looking at any videos or films of this. This is your first deep relationship with, with this piece. Yes. Well, in, in, in general, all... The staging that you see will comes from uh, from the director. The staging, the nuances, the um, what do you call it? The um, stylization, and what I've taken as my role is to help the singers at times when they're actually doing dancing, because it it calls for that in the role. They're in a dance hall or they're in a parade. Other than that, you see them more in a more stylistic way. So what I, though they are expressing themselves and it's very naturalistic and they do their own freestyle, I try to make sure that they're in the period, that their movement is in the period. 
that they're not doing uh, the twist or the boogaloo or the jerk because you don't know. If you're a 30, 35 years old, all those, uh, all those dances just merge. They're like old timey dances. <laughs> However, because <laughs> I try to make sure that they're in the groove of that period. And Charleston, which is where it takes place, is where Charleston was born. And so we do have some people actually from other parts of the world, from South Africa, and they just take to it just like, because it's a common route there. So, so it's, uh, it's really a delight working with everyone. Uh, thank you. Uh, Monday, I wonder if you want to say anything about that. Doing this version as opposed to the other versions, you may have seen Monday uh, with Cape Town Opera when they toured the piece. Uh, Monday was part of that show. <laughs> so yeah. uh, how, how is this production, where does it fit in, you, in your story of Porgy and it is. It is quite an honest performance, whatever the director t tells us. It tells us to be honest about what we do, which is very believable. Because if, if you fake something on stage, people will will see that, ah, it's faking. But if you are being honest on who you are on stage, it always sells. You will enjoy it. I know they always tell us, uh, I'm, 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 I'm the worst dancer, but she always comes to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> but I survive. Oh, he's good, he's good. <laughs> uh, Michelle, anything, I mean, in, in, ter in terms of casting, okay, now there's 41, not 40, but uh, yeah, I mean, because this is a, obviously a different kind of casting, uh, you know, you've, you're doing for this show because you're not working with the, the usual, you know, chorus after all. Yeah, and I think, you know, the thing about this show is, whilst we have, I've just got the numbers here, eight principal artists, there's 11 small roles. Within so, the ensemble, yeah. Within the ensemble. So, you know, we are trying to, they are all, most of them, soloists in their own right. And we, it is a massive luxury, the, um, the amount of amazing singers, actually, that we have in the ensemble. And then those 11 small roles are covered by an, another 11 people who are also in the ensemble. And these eight principals, apart from two roles, are also covered by people on the ensemble. So hopefully no one's going to be sick because we've got a big old knock-on effect going on <laughs> if that happens. But yeah, I mean, that's the amazing thing about casting this show. I've had the opportunity to go to South Africa. We brought over 12 singers from South Africa of all different stages in their careers. But some of them, you know, were really keen to get over to the UK so that they can audition for the music colleges and the National Opera Studio. Um, so I think some of them have already started their application. So it's really great that some of those guys will have an opportunity to apply and, I mean, they'll get in because they're so great. And I just want to say it, uh, publicly what a brilliant job you've done because it, it, was, it was a massive task, that. And I, so I was right in when you were doing it. And so these lists, you couldn't move for lists. And you've done such a brilliant job. I'm, I'm personally very grateful. Uh, <laughs> but just to, just to uh, amplify something Diane was saying about style, you know, I think <clears throat> until fairly recently... Uh, people never really worried so much about style and in, 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 in music, which is cast in this kind of uh, broadly popular idiom. You, they would, there would be a kind of... People started thinking about style of Baroque and classical music, you know, 50 or 60 years ago, and um, you have to get the style of a Verdi opera just so, and Puccini opera just so, but it's... This whole thing is the... Uh, theatre music. Uh, Gershwin in particular is now this, uh, the, what's the University of Michigan are, are embarking on a 45-year project to produce a collected edition of 
George Gershwin's music. Yeah, in because print. The, and there isn't a proper yet a cross critical no, edition. And this of, is of the Borgia first Met. ever performance ever of this critical edition. We're giving the first performance of, because it was like the Dead Sea Scrolls before, <laughs> but, you know, before you, this new edition. And I, th this is the next really serious area of musical scholarship. Uh, um, I'm not calling this popular music because it's a grand opera, but it's it sort of has a foot in both both camps. And that thing about the style, getting the style right, is absolutely essential in in not only bringing this piece to life but making it believable. Just just a, an, an, another version of that. When when it was done in Washington D.C., you had an all black cast on stage. Black people weren't allowed into the theatre, so yeah. the cast protested and said, "We are not performing to an all-white audience. We are not performing to a segregated, segregated theatre. You have to let, let the, you know, let the communities in." Yeah, and, exactly, and they did protest, yeah. and, that, and that is what happened. Yeah, but again, yeah. it just shows the power of this piece. Uh, and, and as I say, the, the, the kind of, you know, it's still there are so, still so many kind of revolutionary aspects to what, what this piece is doing, and what it sounds like, and what it means. James, just to get to the, the, the substance of the thing, because the, the um, my. Uh, uh, having seen uh, Cape Town Opera's version of it, but it's just it's the, there is so much music here, and some of, some of the recordings where nothing is cut, and clearly you've preserved you know most of the show here. The scale of what Gershwin is doing here. What do you have to do as a director to give us all in the audience a narrative thread? I mean, obviously the the story is very powerfully told in in in, in what's happening, Porky Best and everything else. But you're really putting a whole community on stage here. So how do you how do you create that as a director, and how do you guide us through the evening? Well, I keep a well-stocked liquor cabinet for starters, <laughs> just because it's a lot of work. Uh, no, it's it's um, uh, you know it's it is a grand opera. It's a folk opera because I think of Porgy as a folk hero, right? Mm -hmm. And what's revolutionary about that? Well, actually, we have the, you know examples of folk operas. You know, uh, we could say the Beggar's Opera or something like that. There are other uh, other examples. There was a very famous opera by a French composer uh, based on Tom Jones. So it's like. And, but what, the reason why I think it's a folk opera, but it's a grand opera, is because here is somebody who is, um, has the very least. He, has, he, he is a uh, disabled beggar, and he is the most sincere, honest, intelligent, giving person. So the, the person who has the very least gives the most, and there's a beautiful story of that. But it's also an incredibly tightly knit community of real people. And when we first started working on this thing, what I really loved hearing from all of the cast members, my own research on this, my own experiences with Diane, with, with everybody, is to find out what, what, is, is, what are the shared experiences of uh, knowing a community like this, being poor, being working class, um, Eric had some f very interesting firsthand experience in, from his family, which I, th I found incredibly helpful. But the thing about it is, and I, I say this if I'm working on any opera, um, whether it, you know it's a Puccini opera or you know Handel or, or, or whatever, I always say you can't act the music. And I think what has happened to Porgy and Bess over the, the years is people start acting the music. I mean, Gershwin was very comfortable writing a lot of these songs. You know, he, he, you know I Got Plenty of Nuttons, a great tune, Summertime. Um, I, there, there are so many things. I think that's why they've been, they've been recorded 
by everybody. Actually, the, my first experience with uh, Porgy and Bess was hearing Janis Joplin sing a rock version of Summertime, and I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. Anyway, um, but I, I think, so it's like getting rid of all of that stuff, as John has said, to to um, you know, sort of rid it of the of the bad habits and 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 uh, certain traditions that have just been picked up along the way, and to treat it just very honestly. You know, Gershwin knew how to write a, in in a song form, and just because it might be an upbeat song doesn't mean we have to get out the razzle dazzle and start uh, you know all moving in rhythm. That's not the way we do that. I mean, you know, Rossini wrote some toe tappers too, but we don't need to. Tap our toe to all of them so but it has been a just a fascinating experience and and I, I think what's really beautiful and, and kudos to, to Michelle for putting this incredible ensemble together because people from so many different backgrounds from here in the UK and, and South Africa and a few folks even in the ensemble from the States there is this collective experience not just with this piece but um, in religious communities, in small communities, and it's been wonderful shaping all of that and and bringing bringing things out to tell this story. It's extremely complex. I think yeah. I, I've, I always said the hardest opera that I ever had to do was uh, a very large version of Carmen because people just keep coming in that piece. It's like the chorus has to come in back and sing something else. And this is huge. They just keep coming, and once you you put it all together. Uh, you realize just how complex and beautiful and and essential all of those things are in this piece, and that's what makes it so magical. Thank you. I'd like to add to that. There is actually almost an abundance of material in this piece, and it's it's a piece with very high density. Like everything matters. Every bar has something in it that you have to do, and that that makes it a challenge to to stage uh, because everything everything is done for a reason but also like I have rehearsed the orchestra today and like they were in a sweat <laughs> because everything takes real playing you can't just like do a few offbeats like in <laughs> you know some music you, 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 every it's charged it's emotionally charged it's 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 actually really exhausting and 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 you turn the page and there's more and uh, one thing that I feel I must say is that I love summertime and I love this and I love I, nothing and all that. That's the least interesting music in this piece. <laughs> it really is. It's the connective tissue, it's the ariosos, it's the storm music, it's the fight music. That's where Gershwin's really flexing his muscles. That's when you, 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 you see just what he's, yeah. what he's capable of. This is the man who wrote four songs in the morning just to get the bad ones out of his system. Yeah. He could write songs. That was not, that was not a difficulty. He yeah. could do that. He's, you know, all those Broadway shows that he'd done yeah, stuff he, full he of He felt hits. that the bits in between were where he could put more of his symphonic work in, in between the folk yeah. songs, yeah, and yeah. the spirituals. Is, that's, you're right, that's exactly, and he says that as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Nicole, uh, uh, Monday, uh, just, uh, well, all of you who are singing it, I mean, is, is it, is it the, uh, what are the challenges, what are the, what are the demands of singing it? Obviously, you've got to obey, obey John, and get, obviously everything has to matter in the way that he wants and the way that Gershwin demands, but is it also, is it, has it got that kind of intensity for you? I'm also, also thinking it must, it's one of those pieces where even when you're not singing all the time, everything you're doing on stage, right? We, we, our eyes in the audience, we're going to be glued to each one of you at different times, not just when you're doing the numbers, right? So it, uh, it must be, you know, you're going to have to think multidimensionally on stage. 
I, I will say number one that it's it's the emotion that is attached to the words and the music is uh, it can if you're not careful you'll be taken with the emotion and it'll it'll cause you not to have enough to sing <laughs> later. <laughs> so it's okay. it's the gauging of emotion and and the shading of emotion how you will shade the emotion for this particular uh, duet for this particular line. It, I mean the emotion it is so it's laden with so much emotion that you can just sing a line. You don't even have to sing an aria. You don't have to be singing the duet in in one line mm -hmm. in spoken dialogue. It has so much emotion that if you are saturated, just yeah, saturated with it. So if you are in any moment uh, not concentrated or not in it, you'll you'll do damage and it'll cause you it'll it'll cause the piece to suffer. Yeah. Your, your performance to suffer. Right. And the, and the emotion is wrapped up in the music, too. Exactly. I mean, I know that I really have to pace myself, um, especially in the finale of Act One. It's just if, if I don't consciously think to pull back what I'm doing, it just, it'll overwhelm you. And as far, I just, the voice goes, Pah. so I have to, I have to, and kudos again to Jim, uh, James, Jim Tugs, um, um, for, for finding those places where we can, um, where we can pace ourselves. I mean, oftentimes these, these pieces, I know for, in my pieces, just specifically, it's just full out singing and heart and guts and, Jim has found ways to pace the piece um, theatrically so that you know all, it's more of a thought process that leads us to the climax of the, of the duet as, a, as opposed to just singing forte the whole time and just being completely emotionally wrapped up in it. And between all of the, the big pieces, um, having us on stage sort of doing things that are realistic so we can, you know, we don't go off stage and come out of character. Um, there's lots of um, transitions where we're on stage and we're still in the character and and that enables us, I think, to pace our character throughout I the I saw opera. you, like, making the bed or something the other day. Oh, You're doing... I'm sweeping, I'm talking <laughs> to the kids, I'm, I'm in the character Hospital the corners. Well, it's also, it's also something that the, the costumes have been through the mill as well. I don't know if, you, if you've seen, but the, the way the costumes are done, they've been washed dozens of times, I think, to really give that sense that they really, no, that, you know, they really belong to you. It's not, you know, just a kind of something like I'm wearing. You know what I mean? They, it's like a real, these are working clothes. Uh, Monday, we, uh, there was something you wanted to say. I was going to say, it goes back to that honesty that they need both James and uh, they demand it. Mm -hmm. James and John, they demand it musically, in, on stage, when you act, they demand it. And John, your James will want the crescendo with with your with your emotions, and if you don't give them, let's 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 go back to the beginning, and you 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 will do it eventually. He's sweet though. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, very good. So is John. Of course, naturally. Will focus on musical these little things in music. They're off. <laughs> off. He's the uh, expert at coming off. Uh, <laughs> the thing that he's I love the, about the this, off captain. I will jump in, in, in here and say this: that the um, the the thing that I've observed, and I don't think I've ever said it to them, but the thing I love is that they are both lovely gentlemen. Yes. But it is so wonderful to see them be be who they are, be that director. When you see the director come out of Jim, oh, out of James, sorry, <laughs> and you see, yeah, you, you got to be careful. The he's going to come out of John. It is. 
it is just, it's delightful, you know, because you see it and you're just like, whoa, we're, we're working. This is, yeah. this is top and, notch and, here. And, and, and Dan, you, we know you care what a jazz master you are with the dancing yeah. as well, of course. Listen, I'm just conscious of time and where I have to open the, to the floor. But no. you know, keep going. Look, if they, if they, they don't give, ask they, they, It's like they change. The, yeah. They give each other times. It's like, now it's my turn <laughs> to, yeah. to, to speak. Yeah. And yeah. then... <laughs> And she'll come. And then Diane, oh yeah, Diane, Diane will come have her time. Yes. But so I think um, that really showed the, the respect that you both had for the work. Yeah, and so because they had that level of respect for the work, us as artists found our jobs much easier what? because we could trust what they were giving yeah, to us. What, and we could trust, absolutely. which meant that it, we could let go. You care about, if you care about the piece, that's, you know, James cares passionately about the piece. I care passionately about the piece. I've spent two and a half decades of my life reconstructing lost scores from the theatres and what have you, because they have to be done. It's important music. And I just like, people, do you know, can you believe it? There are still people out there, intelligent human beings who are sniffy about this piece. And it's, I absolutely convinced it can be for one reason and one reason only. It's just because they don't know it. Because it's, it's so rich. Thank you. A question for the floor first. Thank you. Oh, 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 I beg your pardon. There'll be a microphone. I beg your pardon. It's my fault for not having it. Here's Rebecca with the microphone. <laughs> Being recorded, you see, so it's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's precisely what I was going to say. With all this effort going in, and all the people who are not going to see it, is it at least going to be sound recorded so that other people can benefit? It's being broadcast on the radio. Yeah, but it's it? being broadcast by Radio, radio 3 and Opera on 3. Yes, yeah, thank you, John. <laughs> but they should come and buy a ticket. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, and I'm sure it should, be, it should and will be issued on seat. Let's go to the back of the... And then, then to the front. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Perfectly. Um, so, um, I, I, ha I think it's a question. It's sort of like a comment, really. So I've been listening. And I'm interested in likes of African history and African American history <coughs> and community and that sort of thing. And um, so it's good to see actual Africans and African Americans in the, on the stage, <coughs> as I'm considered African American, a black African American, you could say. Anyway, so I, I've got a comment. I've written it down because I thought it's quite might, might quite complicated. And I might forget parts, so I've written. <laughs> and come put it down. So I've got, being humble, remember, is helpful in my opinion. Cooperation and compromise is helpful in my opinion. If we of African origin forget to represent Africa, then others take over when there is a demand. So I've got an example. All white European casting for an African American opera. What was, the last, what was the last part? I didn't hear the last part. The, the, there was a, all, all white European casting in, a, in an African-American opera. Was that what you... So, so the example of what might happen is a, an example of all white European casting for an African-American opera. Right. Uh, thank you. Well, that's sort of what the... the I mean, that's exactly the, the, the crucible, one of the controversies that goes on with this piece. As I've mentioned, this production in Hungary where exactly that was happening and there are, there are other things. Anybody else want right. to take that? No, it's just it, uh, for, for gain and profit, you know, because it is uh, the, the, the tunes, as it were, people say, are very familiar. Everyone feels as if it's, you know, just we can just get anyone and it'll be, it'll be great. And most of the time it goes over pretty well. But when you have, when you have, uh, you know, a director 
like, like this. You have a conductor like this. And I will even venture to say when you have singers like this, because I've worked, I've been with these guys and we are invested. And not only invested, but invested intellectually about the piece. So I hope that it all comes over to the audience as the, the way we feel about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because like the relationships between all of us, we are like a, a huge family, yeah. like it's real. So you're going to really see those real relationships within the piece on stage because they're really happening. And I think that's really this, that makes this piece really special. Thank you. Thank you. I was quite interested in what Nadine was saying, getting the bad habits of singing in jazz style. <laughs> I, I want to ask John, how do you get rid of the bad style? How do you what? How do you, how you get, get rid of the bad style? Look, I'm working with singers who are real, real high-class singers, and uh, there's just a couple of instances I've had. I said to one of the guys, look, that's a bit um, sort of Mariah Carey-ish, what you were doing there, and this is... Um, <clears throat> Uh, what's the other woman from My Heart Will Go On and On? That Celine Dion. Dion. <laughs> yeah, was, somebody was a bit Celine Dion. Um, so, but that's very rare because um, Gershwin was meticulous in his notation. There is not one dotted semi-quaver left to chance. Everything is in the page. So I have to use the experience I, I have, which is knowing what that means on the page and how to get it off the page, which is basically singing what's written on the one level, but knowing what's behind the notes, because notes quite can often be a form of shorthand, and that shorthand is embedded in a particular period. And I, I know, because I've done it for a lot of work in that kind of idiom, I, I, I hope I know what those, like Diane was talking about, the, the, the stylistic idiom, as I hope I know what those parameters and, oh, and I'm, uh, my, my antennae sort of pop up if somebody sings something which is, is inappropriate. No, but and, and the other side, uh, again, um, this is being recorded. It wasn't, you're talking about how wonderful it is to work with the orchestra, but there too, this is an orchestra working in a tradition. I mean, this piece, I mean, it's one of them. In a way, it creates its own tradition, its own sound world, this piece, right? Just as, because uh, it's different. For, for all that you say, it's connected, rightly, of course, it's well, connected yeah, to I those mean, things. But I mean, you, yeah. you've got to do some work there with the you've players. Got, well, of course, everybody has, to work hard. It doesn't, everybody has to work hard. It doesn't play itself. The orchestration of this piece is, um, I don't know, it's, it's by Gershwin, but some people think that there were other hands involved. Um, Jonathan Tunick, the, the, uh, Stephen Sondheim's orchestrator, told me that he spoke to one of the original copyists who said that it was a team of orchestrators assisting Gershwin, Robert Russell Bennett. I, 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 I just don't know if that's true. What I do know is that there are stylistic inconsistencies in the orchestration. Some pages look like more deftly done than others. It's all very, very well done. Some of it bears the hand of a real expert. Some of the pages you have to make slight adjustments to the balance. You have to tease out certain inner parts. And I don't know if that... I, I just don't know why that is. Uh, I guess you might say that... It, he, he, he had assistance with it. I, I, I mean, there's no question. He knew what he was doing. He wrote the piano concert. I mean, he knew how to orchestrate. Um, 
how how long did it take? I, I just it's it's the million dollar question. Nobody knows the answer to. It. To, to answer your question, do you? Uh, how do you? It's it's it doesn't play itself. It really it's a proper sweat. You've got to articulate everything. You've got to sustain everything. The strings have got to work like blazers. Um, it's got to be rhythmically vital. And you know what? You could say that for. Haydn, Mozart, Puccini, Rossini, Dutier, Wagner, Wagner anybody. It's, uh, it's just the same. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, thank you. Can I th thank the panel for a most fascinating um, presentation? I think we're in for the most exciting yeah. operatic <laughs> experience of the autumn season. Real treat in store. Thank you. We are talking about the honesty of the music and the presentation. I just wondered if I could ask um, the director about how you're staging it. Um, we're, we're often wary of directors' presentations. I'm sensing that you're trying to get um, a, sort of a setting that is faithful to uh, the original. I wonder if you can just tell us about time and place and setting. Sure. I mean, I think that there's, you know, anytime I do an opera, I'm always going to make a decision about it. Like, okay, how, how are we going to present this thing? So working with designers, you know, it may be, all right, this this particular opera, this Handel opera would be really fantastic if we set it in a Hollywood sound studio. That, you know, that works. Uh, doing uh, a Mozart opera, something. You you know, that that question always comes up, how, how to present the material. Porgy and Bess is hard enough to do without, you know, setting it in... Um, uh, I don't know, a moon. laundromat, okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. so it's difficult enough to do that. The, the, the tricky thing about it, it's set very much in the 1920s, but what we wanted to do is make sure that we could view this entire community from all sides. So it is a very large set, uh, Catfish Row, that's, that's where we are. But we, the, 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 the design is such, a, it's created so that you can see it from all different perspectives and it's on a large revolve. So there are times when you're in front of Catfish Row, there are sometimes you're on uh, you know, a corner of it right there in the courtyard. Just to give this, because it, it, you're creating a gigantic world um, with this opera. So no, there are no crazy things in it. Like I said, it's, it's hard enough to do this well, and I don't mind going for this kind of gritty, honest um, realism. It's very, and it's very specific. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it would be very difficult. It's, you know, the thing about it is that there are those operas that I sometimes call director-proof. Um, and uh, you the, know the magic flute, Don Giovanni, those ones, dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because nobody messes with those. No, but there are operas that are so specific. They should be directed. Yeah, but there are those operas that are so very specific. It's really hard to do that. And then, and with this, why would I do that? And uh, and it make it makes no sense to me. I mean, it really just. Getting the material out in a in a you know a, a, a direct uh, you know honest aggressive sincere thrilling way is, is challenging enough. Yes, so. he is the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh, Dan. Just a quick question. We've got time for one more question, so I'll let you all think about that amongst yourselves. Dan, just uh, d d d and thinking about what we're going to see with with the ensemble. Does it does that 
is that also the case that you all, as the Ensemble Monday, the, the dance working with it, are, are they on stage most of the time? So you're kind of working with the Revolve as well and all those kinds of elements? Uh, the Ensemble is not on the stage all the time. They are, they move with the, re, with, uh, with the Revolve at certain times. But they're about seventy percent of the show has the ensemble. Yes. About seventy percent of the time, the ensemble side. Yes, they just be so much the work for for you to do with them. Well, the most of the staging really is what uh, James has done. There are only some nuances that that I add related to the peer to the period. So it's very um, it's it is entertaining and it's totally captivating. This is uh, I know it doesn't have to be for this. For this group here, it's just that everybody needs to see it. That's what I want to say. But one thing about it is it's a, it's a, it's a team. We are, yeah. it's, it's a team of, yeah. of, of experts that have come together and everyone yields to, to that person that is rendering something that has a value to, to, to the piece. And I want to just add to that, and it's something I haven't come across before. In, in a rehearsal room for an opera, but it, it doesn't feel like you've got like eight soloists and 41 ensembles. It feels like you've got 49 people on stage who are all a really important part of this piece, doesn't it? It's, it's like, uh, it, it, there's no, it's not like a star vehicle or anything. Yeah, He's yeah. just e Eagles are checked at the door. I mean, I mean, I think they were left on the plane or wherever, in people's <laughs> homes, I don't know, but we didn't bring them with us because there's no room for it. I mean, because we really want you to get the story. Come and see the opera, please. <laughs> Unless anyone has the perfect question to tie the room together, I suggest we give the, oh, there is a question on the front row. Oh, please, madam. I love these moments. There's always such pressure on this final question. Very brave, very brave. I wondered if perhaps Michelle can say something about the collaboration with the Met and other opera companies, because I noticed that, and who does what and how it's coming back, because I noticed the, looking at the design scenes at the back there, they've got Metropolitan Opera stamped across them. Sure, so this is a collaboration with the Met and also it's going to Amsterdam. So um, collaboratively, they normally choose all the creative teams together and then all the individual opera companies have cast their own main cast. Um, part of English National Opera's co-production with Amsterdam is that we will provide them with the ensemble. So that made it extra difficult to find people because also the way that these periods work. So these guys, the ensemble started with us on the 20th of August and they're also doing War Requiem. So they don't finish till like the 5th of December. Then they've got two weeks off and then they go to Amsterdam and that takes them into January. And so kind of the way that opera companies work is kind of up to Christmas and then your new contract starts. And as lots of the ensemble are kind of... Um, Op opera singers, soloists in their own right, it's very, been very tricky to kind of sort out all the logistics and things to find 40 singers that can do both. 41, 41. <laughs> uh, well, look, uh, thank you all. Are, we, are, we, are, they, are they going to dinner? Is that, are you all going to dinner? Fine, okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, a big round of applause for yourselves. A round of applause for, for, for the Dean, for the Cole, for James, for John, for uh, John.